You are listening to this podcast series, Radical Solutions for Britain, brought to you by Unlock Democracy. Everyone is talking about Brexit, but do we know what kind of country we want afterwards? Perhaps we don't need wishful thinking or rehashed ideas, but radical new solutions. So we brought together some inspiring speakers at this year's party conferences to discuss their solutions. In this podcast, we talk to one speaker every episode about their radical idea for Britain. The UK voted to leave the European Union. Taking the views of 51.9%. They want to take back control. They want people power. Politics is broken. This is a theft of democracy. This crisis predates Brexit by a long way. Fundamental question that's on the ballot today here, which is really, who runs this country? Who is in control? They have actually bought the political system. It's worth remembering that Britain's only one of four countries in the world without a written constitution. This episode was recorded at the Labour Party conference. Today, we are here with Adam Ramsey, who works for Open Democracy, an independent global media platform that aims to challenge power and encourage democratic debates. You said that very well. I'm always asked what Open Democracy does, and that is the official answer. That I mean, this was this was say. really just a quick Google. And I, um, and I, I always like mangle it. I always <laughs> fail to say it right. So, so thank I, you. I have it written down in front of me. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I saved yeah. you some effort. Thank you. So we'll start with a very light question. Um, if you had a superpower, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? I mean, flying, obviously. Like, clearly people always say either flying or invisibility. But people say invisibility are kind of creepy. That's true. But wouldn't you want a superpower that could allow you to change the world somehow? What would you do with the flying? Oh, no, I just like fly. As a you cool did, yeah, that's fair I enough. mean, I do want to change the world, but I, I don't think it's appropriate that I individually should change the world. That's not how democracy works. True. Democracy is about collective endeavour. I don't have some kind of supreme wisdom about how the world ought to change. I think that what we need is a democratic system to pool all our wisdom. So, no, I, I don't, I wouldn't use my I mean, I, I'd probably use it like I've been carrying a box of pamphlets around today. It would be very convenient if I could have been able to fly with them. <laughs> so, like, I definitely like, I feel like a lot of my political activity really over my life has involved like running around a lot mm-hmm. you know helping organize conferences and all that kind of thing and so being able to fly would be very helpful in that kind of thing but no i i didn't want to, be able to like click my fingers and have everyone do my will because that's weird dictatorship that is weird dictatorship you're right so we've already had a, a sort of very short um glimpse of what you're all about and how you would like to change the world um but as simply as possible, what is your radical idea to fix broken Britain? I think we need to abolish the British state and replace it with democratic systems. So there's this great quote that uh, comes from a guy called Neil Asherson, a Scottish journalist from 1986, when he said, it's not possible to get democratic socialism from the British state in the way that it's not possible to induce a vulture to give milk. We need to uh, replace the whole gaudy heritage as Neil Ashton put it, of the British state. So I think that involves, you know, replacing the whole Westminster system. Uh, a huge portion of the wealth Britain's responsible for is uh, in tax havens overseas, um, our overseas territories and crown protectorates. Uh, in fact, probably Britain's biggest economic impact in the world is with the world's money laundering because of the Cayman Islands and the British Virgin Islands and Gibraltar. The uh, system of devolution is ridiculous. We have the most centralised government in Western Europe and one of the most centralised in the Western world and uh, you know, the, the voting system is a joke and the whole system is set up to teach people that you can't make decisions about your life in a democratic way 
And it's not a coincidence that the least functional democracies are the most neoliberal countries because kind of basic question in human life is how do you change things? And the neoliberal answer is you don't have one person, one vote. We don't make decisions like that in society. We have one pound, one vote. So if you're richer, you get to have more. You decide through the market. And that argument is more appealing in countries like Britain and America, which have very old, clunky constitutions which really aren't designed for the modern era. And uh, where people, you know, if you're, if you're trying to make an argument against neoliberalism, people's only experience of democracy is a kind of broken politics that's totally dysfunctional. So I think that unless you change the whole democratic system in Britain, then you're going to struggle to get any other kind of progressive agenda through. Thank you. So do you think that all of the sort of political polarisation that everyone is talking about, that is in Britain in the moment, at the moment, is also a consequence of the fact that people feel that they're not in power and that, as you'd say, they're probably right that they're not in power and that they don't really know what it's like to be a true democratic citizen? Yes, partly. Um, alienation is absolutely at the heart of the current political crisis. And I think people are equally alienated in Britain and also actually the States by a kind of totally broken political system that means they don't have any power over their lives. I think it's important also to remember, though, that there's a lot of other things going on too. Um, racism is very important. Um, patriarchy is very important. You know, it's not just about the structures of the state, it's about the structures of society in general. And you can't pretend that it's just one thing that's going to solve those problems. But, um, but you asked me to give you one thing, so, so that's my one. Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet. I think we can agree on that. At the beginning, you said that you wanted to sort of abolish the British state in favor of creating a true democracy. But how can we have democracy without the sort of harmony and even just the walled off sense of jurisdiction, some sense of. Well, I'm not arguing against having a state. I'm just saying that the structures of the British state are not ones that are designed to have a democracy. I'm not, I'm not an anarchist. I think there's a lot we can learn from anarchism, but specifically what I think we need is a constitutional convention which you know, gathers people together and which uh, decides what sorts of democratic decision-making structures we should have. I think you know it's worth remembering that Britain's only one of four countries in the world without a written constitution. And essentially what it means to have an unwritten constitution is that the people in charge get to make it up as they go along. And unless... We can democratise that radically. I don't. I don't see how uh, any future progressive governments are going to do more than sort of make things a bit nicer for five years till they get voted out again. Mm. Could you give an example in recent politics of how the fact that we don't have a written constitution has allowed uh, politicians to take too many liberties and, as you said, make it up as they go along? I think about the bank bailout. My job at the time, I worked for this global justice campaign group, and we took an environmental campaign group, and we took the government to court over the RBS bailout that went right to the High Court to say that you know that the money that RBS has been given was being invested in some of the most horrific uh, projects around the world where people were being killed in order to open up oil fields and you know breaking any kind of climate change ambition the government claimed to have. And the court basically said, you know, well, the government can do what it likes. And the government chose to allow, you know, the, in the biggest bailout in history of economics to had a huge amount of cash to what was the biggest company on earth at the time invest British taxpayers money in some of the most horrifying scenes without any kind of accountability to anyone at all um, in a functional country that wouldn't be allowed to happen um, people would 
scrutinise that. People might choose to do that. You know, democracies, people make decisions you don't like, but you don't have one person making that decision and, and the High Court telling us, well, no, they can do all they like, you know? Yeah, certainly, and it's especially shocking how after that decision was made, um, which was a decision that followed on the economic crisis, obviously, all the circumstances and all the freedoms that the banks got, and specifically RBS as well, got to that kind of indirectly contributed to the crisis just continued. I mean, yep. here we are, is it 10 years later, um, and things haven't changed one bit, one might argue. Yeah. It's, it's gotten bigger, actually, their, their room to breathe. Yeah. I think it's, you know, so it's important to remember that in 2010, half of the Conservative Party's campaign funds came from the City of London. And so there's a sort of very simple story you can tell about British politics over the last decade, which is that um, after the crash, the city decided it didn't want to be regulated, so it bought the election in 2010, uh, paid a fortune for that, and hasn't been regulated since. And, and they made the whole political story, because they've got huge power in the media as well, about how you know we paid nurses too much and teachers too much, and, and, and so we have to cut spending on public services, um, rather than having any kind of discussion of what had actually gone wrong, which was the banking mm. system failed and how you might fix it. But again, you can't think, you can't understand the British banking system, which comes back to my original point, without understanding that Britain sits at the centre of this web of global tax havens, overseas territories, and there's constitutional protection both for the tax havens and for the city of London itself. It's got its own you know, officially mandated lobbyist in Parliament called the Remembrancer, who's been there for hundreds of years. I mean, it, obviously different people. Not, it's not like some person who's hundreds of years old wandering around <laughs> um, with a superpower. But, um, but there's um, oh, Roberto Savioni, to quote someone else, who's the uh, leading expert in the Italian mafia. He's kind of this journalist in Naples who has to have three bodyguards with middle times who doesn't get bumped off by the mafia. Uh, was asked a couple of years ago what the most corrupt country in the world is. And he gave what to me is the obvious answer, which is Britain. Because Britain is where everyone launders their money, and uh, you know, so if you're a, if you're a Russian oligarch who's stealing wealth from Russia as the Soviet Union collapses, where do you launder your money? Britain. That's why Britain's full of Russian oligarchs. If you're a Saudi prince who's worried the crown prince is going to hang you up from your feet again, as he did last year, and demand all of your money to pay off the country uh, debts because Saudi Arabia is totally broken, um, you know, where do you hide it? Britain. If uh, you know you are a crook of the world. Then you use this sort of authority Britain gets, this old empire in the world, the kind of assumption that these are kind of, you know, the, the British people are sort of better in some way because of white supremacy, um, to cover your criminal activity. And that, that's mostly what Britain is these days. And it's also important to understand that alongside that, there's another thing going on, which is that in a kind of normal constitutional system, there's um, very clear rules about monopoly on violence. So, you know, only the state can like, beat people up um, legitimately. There was air quotes there. Um, <laughs> and of course, because, 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 because Britain doesn't have you know, clear rules, we're also the world's centre for mercenary companies. You know, ever since the Iraq war in 2003, more and more of the job of killing people and beating them up and rounding up immigrants and deporting them has been done by private companies. G4S is the kind of iconic example, but, but also a huge amount of the intelligence work has now been outsourced. <clears throat> I think Trump recently d 
decided that he wanted to take everything that was happening in Afghanistan and now give that responsibility to mercenaries as well. Yeah, and that makes following, you wonder what he's doing there. That. Well, and that's following Britain, and so because Britain is sort of this lawless zone in the world, which gets away with a lot because we have a lot of people with posh accents like mine, and people think <laughs> they should believe for some you know, inexplicable reason. It's become this kind of like center for lawlessness and criminal activity in the world. Um, in a sense, it always has been. That's what empire was about. But uh, you know, in a sense, the lack of a rules-based constitutional system allows Britain to be used by the kind of global elite in an era where a tiny group of people have got richer and richer and richer and richer. And I think it's very important to understand that you know, unless we sweep away that whole system and work out what kind of democratic structures we want, we're going to struggle to make any of the other kinds of changes we need. So. Um, you gave us a wonderful analysis of all these different sort of powerhouses, the UK, the US, uh, Trump, oligarchs, oil, which are all very systemic as well. It's easy, I think, for myself and I can imagine you and our listeners to be overwhelmed. So what are some, some small things or big things that we might do as individuals um, to try and push for change and given that the change is so enormous that we need I think I'd say first, join up with other people. I mean, you, you can't get political change on your own, but you can get it with surprisingly small groups of people around you. I think what I'm saying specifically to English people, um, not that you'd guess, but I'm Scottish. I think it's a very different political dynamic there. Not always better, but different. But to English people is that um, they need to begin to have a, an analysis of the British state and an understanding of constitutional politics not just see politics as kind of saving the NHS or not, not that that's not very important, which it is. But, um, but they need to start thinking about kind of democratic politics. And if you lose that element of your politics and you make it all about kind of very traditional material concerns, then ultimately you'll always have anything you win taken back off you by the people who retain the power. And so I think what I'm saying is like demand of your political leaders. And if you're on the left, demand of your political leaders that they talk about and think about how they're going to replace a totally broken political system, not just that they talk about it and think about how they're going to increase funding for things and, and all these other important macroeconomic questions. Thank you. Um, I'd like to add to that that uh, Unlock Democracy has some campaigns that quite directly Get um, try, to, yeah. try to challenge um, those things. We have the Follow the Money campaign, uh, which has been relatively successful in... Uh, challenging the power of money in our politics and we're launching our new written constitution campaign uh, very soon. So that's all very exciting. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you for having uh, me. This uh, was a wonderful conversation and gave me a lot of insight and I think everyone will be listening as well. Since this episode was recorded, Adam has written for Open Democracy about cheating by pro-league organizations in the Brexit campaign. Five months ago, the Electoral Commission handed over evidence to the Metropolitan Police, and they have done nothing. A democracy where the elite don't have to follow the law is not really a democracy. Sign the petition to call on them to investigate possible criminal activity on unlockdemocracy.org. This podcast is produced by Unlock Democracy, an organization which wants to give power back to the people. This episode was produced and edited by Bridie Addison Child and reported by me, Tessa Van Rens. Music was from the Blue Dot Sessions. 
If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We release a new episode every Thursday. Also, please give us a like or a share, leave any comments you have for us or the wonderful speakers, or tell us your own idea on social media with the hashtag Radical Solutions.